Aloha, this is Morgan Mermo with iRead on Alpha in coordination with Brad Thomas. Today we're going to take a dive into SPACs. I'm here with Amy Lynch. Amy Lynch is a former SEC and FINRA regulator, and now she's, she's a consultant with top investment firms as the president of Frontline Compliance. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Now, we've asked to speak with Amy today in regard to the growing popularity of SPACs and the changing landscape. As everyone is understanding these days, SPACs have been coming under pressure, and a lot of it has to do with um, the changing landscape, and that's what we're going to talk to Amy about to see if we can get a pulse of what's going on behind the scenes and what she thinks is going to happen in the future. Amy, from your understanding, can you tell us what a SPAC is and what your experience is in this field? So to start, I'll tell you what a, what a SPAC is technically. So a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company that is formed specifically for the purpose of taking a private company public. So it's a way to get a, public, a private company public without going through a uh, direct listing with an exchange and going through the listing process, which can be quite onerous. So these began to be very popular as the markets began to heat up a few years ago. IPOs were coming up for a lot of these small tech companies and the SPAC process became a surefire way to get these smaller tech companies to the market publicly in a re reasonably you know, quick and easy way. So there is a private shell company, which is the SPAC, which then goes public in its own IPO. So essentially there's a shell company going public. It has no assets, it has no operating history, but it trades publicly, typically at a steady uh, rate of around $10 a share. And then once it finds an acquisition and it has a two year time frame to do that, once it finds its acquiring target, it will reverse merge that company into the SPAC shell company and then take that private company public and be listed on an exchange and offered publicly to trade. Now with the growing popularity of SPACs, some things have caught the attention of the SEC, specifically warrants. Could you explain what warrants are versus what rights are and what's going on from what you see? So warrants are a special security type that are often attached to these SPAC deals that allow for the purchase of additional shares at a specific price in the future. And it has been quite common to have these warrants attached to these SPAC transactions to provide an incentive for the earlier investors in the SPAC to ensure essentially its success in the future. So the issue that the SEC has recently had with these warrants has to do with the accounting of the warrants and the way in which they have been described in the prospectuses that have been filed with the um, Division of Corporate Finance and the Office of the Chief Accountant at the SEC. And both of those divisions are looking at the financial statements and the filings of these entities when they come to the SEC for registration. 
And one of the issues they have is is how the warrant is being treated. Is it being treated as an equity, which in most cases it has been? So that's obviously you know a benefit to the company to have more equity via these warrants. Sometimes, however, the SEC has said, depending on the accounting and how it's being viewed, that these warrants are not actually equity, but rather they're a liability to the company and therefore a detractor. And they've been telling certain firms that have not been accounting properly for those warrants that they have to go back and refile their financial statements with the SEC. And they've also been holding current registrations for SPACs that have warrants attached to them to make sure they have done the accounting correctly. So when a SPAC enters an agreement to merge with a prospective company that they're taking public this way, if there's an issue with equity versus liabilities for the accounting of warrants, it appears that it could slow down the process. Now the SEC's job from our understanding is to protect investors. So why would the SEC want to slow down the process of investment vehicles to protect the investor by reclassifying through filings um, the accounting of liabilities um, versus equity for the warrants? Well, it goes back to the financial statements of the of the entity itself. So from an heirs perspective, remember they're looking at it purely from an accounting view. So the chief accountant's office is saying, this is how the financial statement should be written. If they're not properly classified, then it's going to affect the overall valuation of the SPAC. And then you're going back to, okay, is the investor actually buying into the SPAC at the right price? So it, that's how they look at it from an investor protection standard. And how does, what is your firm's view on this? Well, what we're seeing, we have a few clients that do have SPACs and are in that market. And what we're seeing is that because of this change in the accounting perspective by the SEC, firms are simply deciding to not attach warrants to their SPAC deals. And it's a kind of an easy solution in many ways to just not, not have the warrants um, come into play. The, the real scrutiny these days that, I, that I'm hearing from both the regulatory side as well as obviously what the media has been catching on to is the issue of how these SPACs are disclosed to investors and how they're being offered. So a couple issues that the SEC has with this SPAC offerings uh, in, in recent history, and they've put out actually some investor alerts that are publicly available on the SEC website. But one thing they're worried about is how they're being offered and sold. And they've seen a lot of celebrity endorsements of SPACs in um, recent history. So, you know, movie, movie star celebrities, sports celebrities, people that have been coming out and endorsing specific SPAC deals. And the SEC is then concerned uh, about does that make does that make that a suitable investment? Because people do tend to follow what their um, you know, movie icons and sports icons are saying, and they could be led to believe that this back is going to be a good deal simply because a big name is attached to it. So they've been concerned about that. They actually put an investor alert out about that, basically saying, don't invest in a SPAC just because you are, you are a movie star hero, invest in one. And they're also concerned about conflicts of interest and how these deals have been created to truly benefit the sponsors and early 
phase investors. In other words, those early institutional investors that get into the SPAC in its initial days, uh, as well as obviously the founders and sponsors of the deal, because they get special terms and conditions attached to their holdings in the SPAC, which basically guarantees these deals to be a win. So they're not going to lose money. They are able to purchase shares of the SPAC for literally cents on the dollar, whereas when it goes public, it's going to be at $10 a share typically. So they're already making money if they're buying a share at two cents and then it's gonna go IPO at $10 a share, they've already made a small fortune depending on how many shares they've been issued. So there's, there's no way for the founders to lose. And that has been a hot topic um, in the industry and, and for the regulators, just to make sure that in the prospectuses that the, you know, the average retail investor that can invest in that SPAC once it's gone to IPO understands that their investment is not going to be um, it's at the same terms as the initial early stage investors, and they're more at risk. So that $10 a share that they purchased, actually, if the, if the IPO shares fluctuate, because remember, they have that two-year grace period before they have to find that acquire, acquiring entity. So the IPO, the SPAC, is actually trading publicly for that two-year time frame, and the shares do fluctuate depending on the interest in the SPAC. So it can go from $10 to $12, $15, and they generally don't fluctuate too, too much, but they do fluctuate. However, if you bought in at 10 and you decide later that you, know, you want to sell, oh, it's going at 15 now, I'm going to sell out and just make my $5 a share um, profit. The truth is they're not going to get that $5 a share profit because the trust account, which acts as an escrow account, for the uh, IPO shares is still valued at $10. And the, the trust account shares only, uh, only fluctuate based on the value of the trust investment. So the IPO price is not actually the real price. They're gonna get the pro rata share of that trust account price when they redeem those shares. And that could only be $10 a share. And a so lot of the retail investors don't understand that. How, how prevalent is this? in um, having early stage investors in the SPAC taking control of shares at cents on the dollar? Oh, almost always. Could you give us an example? So I, I, I actually did. I, they're buying in their shares at cents on the dollar. So they will say there are founder shares being issued. X number of founder shares have been issued in the, and it will say this in the prospectus. X number of founder shares have been issued at five cents a share to the founders and sponsors of the SPAC, and it'll have other disclosure language attached to that. But so, for example, will, if Alex Rodriguez is getting a founder share and he's promoting it where he's getting it for cents on the dollar and then selling it, the SEC would be looking at that now. Is this sort of what you're saying, or is this just exactly. retail, retail versus the celebrities and the big money? Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, if, if he is one of the founders and, and is getting that, that great deal, they're going to look at the disclosures around that. So if he's out there marketing it, they are concerned that the investor may not understand that their deal is not the same deal that Alex received. 
and they want to make sure there's a proper disclosures around any associated marketing, marketing materials that explain the difference so that the investor at least knows that the, what they're getting is not, the, not equal to the same deal that that celebrity received. Great. So if I'm a retail investor and I'm looking at, hey, this is a cool celebrity or this is a, a cool guy that brought a big company public that I trust is going to find something good and I want to I invest with this person. How am I going to find out if this person uh, has a vested interest easily and then what the actual net asset value of the fund is? You can look at the financial statements. So the benefit of the SPAC going public is that it has to report just like every other public company. So the financial statements, the quarterly reports, the annual reports of the SPAC entity itself are publicly available on the SEC's website. So you're going to look for the, the Form 10-K, the annual statement. You're going to look for the Form 8-K, which are the updating statements and amendments to see what has happened with that entity and what the current value of the SPAC is. Great. And how are you navigating your institutional clients through what's going on today? So my clients would be typically the, the large institutional money managers, which may be involved in these SPACs as, as sponsors or early stage investors. So we are recommending that they make sure that their offering materials contain all the adequate disclosures and are highlighted and prominent in those disclosures so that it won't get rejected by the SEC if they're going to file for a, a first time SPAC or um, if they get examined by the SEC down the road to see how they have been offering their SPACs to make sure that uh, marketing materials and disclosures regarding any potential conflicts or related party transactions have been adequately disclosed to investors so they understand what those conflicts are. Excellent. Well, this has really helped us understand what's going on today. Is there any other issues or concerns that you'd like to highlight in the space? I mean, I think this is going to be continue to be a, a hot topic area. And until the SEC really can wrap its arms around what they really want to see, again, these are coming um, into popularity at a very, very quickly and in a kind of a flood into the Division of Corporate Finance, as well as the Chief Accountant's Office, really in the past two years, they've received a huge influx of applications for these um, transactions. And so much so, they've had a hard time keeping up. So literally, the, the accounting change came at a time when they needed to turn the spigot off, so to speak, because they were getting overwhelmed. And the, this gives them an opportunity now to you know, slow it down to a bit of a trickle as opposed to a flood and get their arms around what they want to see, how they feel these transactions need to be shored up as far as their disclosures go to the investing public. And that really is the mandate of the SEC, like you said earlier, is to protect the investor and they need to make sure that that happens via proper disclosures. At WideMote, we track SPACs that may be interested in a real estate technology acquisition or SPACs whose management would complement such a company. And of the 43 SPACs that have not entered into an agreement, we have 
less than one month average time between filing for the SPAC and the IPO. For those that have filed without raising money, we have 34 SPACs. Everything has slowed down, as you said. What we see here is over two months average time before the IPO with several SPACs in February and March that we would have expected to have already filed, excuse me, raised money are still sitting there. Do you think this could be because the SEC is sort of slowing the spigot and everyone's trying to figure out what's going on before they raise the money? Or do you think that the SPACs have sort of reached uh, maybe this is it, we have too many, let's slow down on our own? I think it's it's most likely the SEC. Um, remember, the, the, the founders, the sponsors of these SPACs are, have a huge incentive to get these these deals to fruition. So I don't think they would want to slow the process. I would suspect the process is being slowed on the other side by the SEC because they, like I said, they need to figure out what it is they want to really see. And by changing the accounting rules, that's one way. They need to go back and take a look at these deals and take a closer look at those financials to see that the updates that they requested has been made in the appropriate manner under the GAAP guidelines. Great, and one final question. Where do you see this going uh, in the future over the next five years? Do you think SPACs are here to stay or do you think IPOs will sort of come back and become more popular than they've been versus SPACs in the last 12 months? I think SPACs are here to stay, but maybe the frenzy will die down. So obviously this has a lot to do also with the market and the froth that we have seen in the market, especially the, the desire for, for tech-type IPOs. So that, that will change by nature of the markets changing. And now we're coming out of a pandemic. There's a lot of talk about inflation. We'll have to see how that affects the market. And if the markets tend to you know, lose some of their momentum simply because of economic changes, we may see just an overall shift in the IPO market, which would also affect that. Well, thank you for your time, Amy. We look forward to speaking with you again as the landscape evolves, and we appreciate your insights. Thank you very much for having me, Morgan. You have a great day. Absolutely. Take care.